Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Difficult season in which we're living. But I believe, I believe with God's help, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it together. Part of the, the mystery, the secret sauce, the magic of this moment is each of you joining in, sharing with one another, encouraging one another. Thank you for being a part of it. Maria, Sue, Jonathan, Lasagna, Don, thank you. Thank you for making this happen each and every morning just by gathering together and bringing your prayers, your energy, your compassion, your concern, your humor, your wit, yeah, into the mix. Thank you. Wednesday, October 13th, 14th, right? Yeah, October 14th. Give me a few moments today. I want to share with you what I believe to be the sweetest revenge. Now, this is not an easy subject today, not at all, but I can promise you this is going to be one of the most shared subjects of them all. It's one of those taboo thoughts in the religious realms that we're not supposed to talk about. We probably should for plotting and seeking revenge is one of the easiest ways to say goodbye to an otherwise fulfilling and satisfying life. But, oh, it's hard to let go. Plotting revenge is a favored pastime of many. It's their hobby. For some, it's their sole occupation. How to even the score, how to get back at somebody. Just dreaming up scenarios for offering up the dish they say that is best served cold, this dish of revenge. If you know we're going someplace today, just give me a thumbs up because we are going someplace today. Oh, my. Oh, my. So thank you for being here, Mary and Eve and Deborah, Elizabeth. Thank you for being this. Share this, like the page, follow the page. And let's see what God has for us. Have you heard the story about the woman who found a genie in a bottle along the beach? And the genie said, oh, I'm so thankful to be out of my prison. I'm going to grant you three wishes, three wishes with a caveat for every wish that was given to her, fulfilled for her. Her husband would get doubled. She wasn't too happy about that. Her husband had just left her for another woman. And so, but she wasn't too confident about this genie stuff either. So she said, okay, for my first wish, I want a million dollars, flash a light, million dollars lay at her feet. Yeah. Your second wish, ask the genie and just off the top of her head, she said, I I wish for the world's most expensive diamond necklace, another flash of light. And there it was, that precious treasure within her hand. And the woman was now a believer. So she said, now, let me just get this straight. Uh, Since I got $1 million, you said my husband got twice that? The genie said, yes. And she said, so since I asked for the world's most expensive diamond necklace, my husband got one twice as expensive. And the genie said, yes. And so the genie asked, said, okay, what's your third wish? And the woman was trying to absorb all this, and she thought, and she thought, and she thought, and she said, okay, Jeannie, I'm ready for my last wish. Scare me half to death. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, now that's just funny. Okay, it's just funny because everybody is plotting and scheming revenge these days. And have you noticed during this pandemic season, wow, are people angry? I I just don't know what's going on out there. But we we say it's only natural. We say that revenge. If somebody hurts us and we want to hurt them back, that is something very, very natural. Rudy Giuliani, uh, former mayor of New York, said, Revenge is not a noble sentiment, but it is a human one. Since playing in schoolyards, we, we just learned you can't give in to bullies. If they punch you, you got to punch them back harder, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's sort of living. And, and we were raised with the idea that there should be something right. People should pay for their wrong actions. In, in a sense, revenge is a distorted form of a sense of justice God put in us. He made us after his image, and, and he is righteous, and he sets things right. And our desire to make things whole again, to restore what was damaged, to right or wrong, make the scales balance, is sort of revenge or justice that's hidden within us. They Now, some will draw a real fine line. They say, okay, revenge is wrong, but vengeance is okay. And uh, they can even point to the Bible. Oh, yes, they can. Uh, uh, great justifiers can always point to the Bible. Oh, yeah. They even point to David, a man after God's own heart. We call them the imprecatory psalms. You say, Brother Gurley, I've never called them <laughs> the imprecatory psalms. 21 of the 150 psalms that are classified as imprecatory. The two primary examples, Psalm 69, Psalm 109, you can look those up in just a moment. David, this man after God's own heart who wrote about half the Psalms, wrote the overwhelming number of imprecatory Psalms. What does imprecatory mean? It comes from a verb, impre imprecate, which means a prayer for evil, a curse, a prayer for vengeance, desiring to bring down evil and wrath upon your enemies. So not only is the desire for re revenge or vengeance human, you can even find its quest in the midst of the book that is devoted to praise and worship to God. We can present these as David crying out for justice, and indeed that's normally how they're viewed. But I think we do a disservice to Scripture when we ignore the simple truth. Even a man after God's own heart struggled with his desire for revenge, to get even, to get back. In fact, in fact, can I ask you a question? Isn't our unwillingness to sometimes forgive people rooted in a desire for vengeance? Isn't an unforgiving spirit roughly synonymous with that imprecatory psalm that somehow we feel if we let those who hurt us off the hook, that God's going to let them off the hook too? The Old Testament pretty much codifies vengeance with its eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth mentality. They hurt you, hurt them back more. But as Mahatma Gandhi once said, if we all still operated under an eye-for-eye eye way of living, there'd be a whole lot of blind people in this world. But there is a Christian way to treat revenge and even to gain revenge, and it is the sweetest of them all. And I'm happy you're here to share this with us and just share this with others because others need this. I believe we all 
need this. I need to tell you a story. I, I met a man several years ago, maybe by accident, maybe by providence. Maybe, maybe God allowed me to meet that man just for this one devotion today so I could tell you about him. Um, because having met him affected me and having learned more about him later really affected me. In fact, I bought his biography later. He signed it for me called The Measure of a Man. Martin Greenfield is his name. And maybe Martin's story will help you. It helped me because his story in some remote and distant way, it may be like your story. I met Martin Greenfield a number of years ago. We didn't know each other. I was referred to him for some reason. He just took an interest in me and invited me to his shop in the industrial area of Brooklyn. Um, Tyler Whaley was at the time my future son-in-law. We were headed through New York City on a missions trip. We had a few hours layover before the overseas flight. Tyler was looking for a wedding suit, and I thought, well, you know what? It'd probably be nice for me to buy a suit that I will wear uh, for this wedding, for all three of my children's weddings. And we were pointed to a more toward a man named Martin. He'd give me a good deal on a good suit. And so we took a cab over to Brooklyn, and there, um, there we met Martin. What a great man he was. What just a, a just, he was nice. He was outgoing, but he was gruff and he was outspoken. He just a, just an interesting guy. He's still alive. I think he's 92, 93 years old right now. Just a wonderful, wonderful man. As we wandered through his tailor's shop, I, I started understanding there was something significant about this man. I started seeing photos and realized this man was very unique, not how unique. I just didn't really understand at the time. I didn't know who I was dealing with. He's He was the mentor to designers like Donna Coran and Ralph Lauren. He was designer of suits for six American presidents since Dwight Eisenhower, creator of all sorts of custom labels for many shops. 130 movie stars have had Martin make suits, athletes, politicians, designer of suits for all sorts of films. His suits are famous, but his story, his story is not very well known. And um, one would think by meeting Martin and under, hearing his biography and his success that he had it all. But recently he opened up to a young man who had interviewed him and he told about surviving the Holocaust, a story that had been bottled up in his heart for years taken from his Slovakian village by the Nazis, Martin and his family were crammed into cattle cars and sent to Auschwitz. None other than Dr. Joseph Mengele awaited their, their arrival, instructing Martin to go to the right, which meant life, and his mother and grandparents, brothers and sisters, to the left in the gas chambers, which meant death. And in his book, The Measure of a Man, he tells the story of the physical, psychological, emotional abuse that he suffered. He was 14 years of age in the death camp of Auschwitz. He was working in the laundry, and uh, he had brushed the shirt of an SS officer so frantically that he tore the collar. Martin was beaten very severely for it, within an inch of his life. When the flogging was over, the SS officer tossed the torn shirt in Martin's face. Another prisoner taught Martin how to sew up the shirt, and he speaks in his book of how that simple act of sewing and restoring gave him hope that he would survive the ordeal. 
Yeah. It became, after the war was over, his life and career in America sewing. More importantly, that torn shirt indicated to other SS officers that Martin was protected in the death camp. After all, some officer had given him that shirt. It was his shield. Martin wrote, from that day, I learned that clothing is power and clothes not only make the man, but can also save his life. In his book, he tells the story of when he had the opportunity to take vengeance on one of the local officials who had Martin severely beaten. Martin had found a machine gun and he went looking for that official, but encountered the man's wife holding a newborn child and he couldn't do it. And he laid the gun down and Martin wrote at that moment, when I laid the rifle down, I became human again. He would come to America and his rise to the top of his profession. First suit was made for Dwight Eisenhower when he was running for president. Actually, it had shaken General Eisenhower's hand when he had liberated the prisoners at Martin's death camp. And standing before Martin that day in Brooklyn, I told him why I was there and that I wanted a suit to wear to all three of my children's wedding. And he was intrigued. He was so kind. He just slapped me on the chest and said, I'm going to make you the finest suit you've ever owned. If I'd looked close enough, I would have seen it. The tattoo on his arm with the serial number for Auschwitz, A4406. But his smile was so dazzling that you didn't notice the marking. His future was so bright. His present joy was so great that you couldn't see his past. I wore that suit to all three of my children's wedding. I have it wrapped and put away never to wear again because to me it's somehow precious. It indicates to me that we should never underestimate man's power to be cruel to fellow man, but we should never underappreciate God's power to set us free from the past and set us free from the desire for revenge. Can I get a witness to that? You see, this is God's way. That tragedy will never have the final word that all of life's hurt and all of life's wickedness and evil may sin, may seem to win momentarily. But if you can persevere and if you can hold on, something beautiful will emerge from life's greatest trials. And you see, I believe that's how God would have us to live. To live is to forgive, and to forgive is to live, to not even, to not, not try to get even, not try to get back, but to get on with our lives, to be set free from how they hurt us, to let wounds heal, to let the scars form, but then learn from the hurt and purpose. I'm going to be a better person for holding the desire of revenge does far more damage to me and you than it does to someone else. To keep plotting revenge only keeps wounds open. Roots of bitterness, jealousy, hatred, strive, form, and go deep into your soul. Is there a better alternative? I think there is. Solomon in one of his Proverbs, I believe the 24th chapter said, don't seek vengeance because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. The same God who is judge over all will exact his justice in ways that are according to his nature, his grace and his loving kindness. I think that's important because you and me and our humanity, we see the worst in others, but the best in ourselves. We ascribe to others the worst of motives, but give ourselves a pass that we have the best of motives, that they are bad, we are good. But we remember what Jesus said, there is none good 
but God. So before we seek vengeance, we need to be careful with our own motives because who can really know the human heart? In the Old Testament, there's a concept. It's the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. We love that. We love the expression. It actually points to the Lord Jesus Christ. But a forgotten function of the kinsman redeemer is that of avenger. And that indeed, that is an accurate translation. If someone hurts someone close to him he, and, and killed that someone close, it was the kinsman. It was the avenger who was to extract vengeance, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But in a sense, that too points to Jesus, the same one who redeems will one day be our judge. I can't save anybody, only he can save me. And in the same sense, I can't judge anybody because he is the judge. Don't ever be motivated by revenge. Rather, Simon Peter in 1 Peter 3 said we should be motivated to bless others. Paul echoed the same in 1 Thessalonians 5, but it's at the close of 2 Corinthians. Paul tells us something profound. In that most intimate look at Paul's struggle, where he reveal, he pulls back the curtain and reveals how he's been hurt from people, his enemies, his friends, from strangers, from those he knew, in the city, in the country, how many times he had been hurt. He closes with these words, 2 Corinthians 13 and 11, rejoice, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. You see, it comes down to this. Life is a pursuit of peace, and it's impossible to be at peace when you're plotting vengeance. I read a book recently by Meg Jay, and she cited a quote allegedly from Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius said, the best revenge is to be unlike the person who injured you. The sweetest revenge is not to be like the person who hurt you. To be set free from that injury is to be the opposite of the person who hurt you. When you stoop to revenge, you become just like them. Can I, can I give you some liberating words? Believers need these words because all too often we just keep walking up to the kicking machine. Somebody hurts us, we forgive them. Walk back up and they kick us and they hurt us again. Can I help you with something right now? I need to help you with this. We need to address three tenses, past, present, and future. If my issue is with someone in the past who's hurt me, God, help me forgive that person. Amen? That's what you do with it. All I can offer past hurt is forgiveness. Father, forgive them and help me to forgive them. That's what I do with the past hurt. If my issue is with someone in the present who has hurt me or is hurting me, then as with the past, I need to work toward forgiveness. But there's a second component at play here is should I be reconciled to that person? And I'm going to say something preachers don't say very often, but I want you to hear me. Not necessarily. You don't have to stoop to be in contact daily with someone who doesn't, who, who doesn't treat you humanely, who hurts you again and again. Now, we must forgive. 
We got to get that hatred out of our heart. But it doesn't mean that you constantly have to walk back to that kicking machine and say, I've forgiven you for hurting me yesterday. Would you hurt me again and again and again and again? It reveals something about your character and your low sense of self-worth and the compromise you have on your identity. You are better than a doormat. Meekness is not weakness. Uh, There should be something inside of you that says, I know who I am. I know whose I am. And the Lord gave his precious blood to purchase my redemption. And I am not going to constantly walk into situations where I am hurt by that same person. So if you're dealing with the past, forgive. Dealing with the present, forgive. But in the present, you have to decide Will I be reconciled to that person who keeps hurting me again and again? Now, I would say it's a noble goal. And if you're able to do it, and if you're able to live at peace with all men and have a relationship, great, fine, and good if God is able to give you the grace to do it. But don't do it out of fear. Don't do it out of you're afraid of retaliation. You need to stand in faith because what we don't do in faith is sin. And then third, there is, there is the future. The Bible says, make no friendship with an angry man, lest you learn his way, stay away from angry people. Evil company corrupts good morals. You don't have to be reconciled in those situations. You don't have to be close friends with people that are wicked and angry. So for the past, I offer forgiveness. For the present, I do the same. I must decide with the present, am I going to be reconciled to this person? Or should this be a relationship that I lay aside and I choose healthier relationships. For the future, if I do choose to forgive and I do choose to reconcile, then God, I'm going to need the grace to trust again. All too often we go from, they hurt me, I must forgive them, I must act like nothing's happened until they hurt me again. No, you don't. That's where revenge comes in. We begin to plot revenge. We need to forgive others to free us to free us to become who God wants us to be. Doesn't mean you're going to be bosom buddies with that person that hurt you again. I told you nobody's talking about this. Yeah, I'm talking about this today. It doesn't mean you're forced to trust them again. That may not be good at all. But what is a good goal is to never seek vengeance. Because the sweetest revenge is not found in hurting other people. It's not found in getting even or getting back. Hear me carefully. The sweetest revenge is to go on with your life, to go on without nursing grudges or harboring resentment, to go on in joy and in peace. When Paul summed up all of his hurt and all of his disappointment, all of his pain, he said, rejoice, be at peace, that your joy and your inner peace is the sweetest revenge. Focus on your accomplishments. Focus on your advancements, your loved ones, your friend, your ministry, your happiness. That's the sweetest revenge of them all, to never be like the person who hurts you. They may have scarred you. They may have stained your name and reputation. They may have assailed your character and destroyed and fractured a relationship but they can't take the real you. And the real you stands chosen, redeemed, loved in God's kingdom.
And who knows? Who knows? When the one who hurts you sees that you've moved on, maybe God will speak to their own hearts and they can find lasting change. But in the meanwhile, the sweetest revenge is not to be like the person who hurt you. Be free. Be free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I brought that suit up here with me today. That suit. In fact, let me just let me just lean down and get it. This is the suit that Martin Greenfield made me. This is the suit that I wore to all three of my children's weddings. It's a suit that reminds me that there are things more important than what others think about me and say about me. God's given me a good life. And when I look at this suit, I think of Martin Greenfield and all the atrocities he went through. But a man who decided, I'm going to be human again. To err is human. To forgive is divine. And forgiveness is a suit worth wearing for all eternity. It's the best suit you will ever own. God bless you today. Leave your prayer requests. Thank you. Share this with someone else. And may the Lord be with you. And may you be set free. And may you never be like the people who have hurt you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.